I'm Stuart Varney. I'm Harris Faulkner. I'm Chris Wallace, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, June 4th, 2020. I'm Trey Yinkst. As the coronavirus hits American hospitals, serious concerns about practitioner and patient safety are being raised. The problem is that a lot of um, states have passed laws that unfortunately allow uh, people to practice in the capacity of a physician without the appropriate training. And in some places with as little as 5% of the training. And that's quite scary to all of us. This is the Fox News Rundown, Global Pandemic. Hundreds of medical professionals around the world have died after being infected with coronavirus. This as more than 450,000 healthcare workers contracted infections as they battled this invisible enemy on the front lines. Additionally, the patients these professionals are treating sometimes don't have equal access to quality care. Over the next few minutes, you'll get the latest headlines on the global COVID-19 outbreak and hear from allergy and infectious disease doctor Pervi Parikh, who serves as a board member for the organization Physicians for Patients Protection. Starting first in Latin America, that is now being referred to as the new red zone by the World Health Organization. The WHO notes that four out of 10 of the worst affected COVID-19 countries are located in Latin America. In addition to dealing with the outbreak, there have been multiple reports of nurses being attacked in places like Mexico. The region's death toll surpassed 50,000 people last week. Now to Russia, where this week the country surpassed 430,000 total positive cases. Despite the outbreak, Russia will proceed with its World War II 75th anniversary victory parade later this month. According to the country's defense minister, troops with immunity to COVID-19 or those not showing symptoms will be marching in the parade. As parts of Russia begin to reopen, President Vladimir Putin has given authority to individual regions to determine when and how to do so. Finally, in Italy, where officials are warning the coronavirus crisis isn't finished. More than 33,000 Italians died during the outbreak, though new cases have dropped off sharply. Italy saw just 178 new cases in a 24-hour period this week, the lowest since the end of February. A top Italian doctor said coronavirus is weakening, a hopeful sign for the entire world. The International Council of Nurses said this week that 600 nurses around the world had died from COVID-19, at least 40 of them from Italy. So what more needs to be done to keep nurses, doctors, and patients safe around the world as this pandemic continues? Generally speaking, you know, it was an unprecedented time, um, the sheer volume of patients, especially in New York, um, that were coming in at once. This is allergy and infectious disease doctor Pervi Parikh who serves as a board member for the organization Physicians for Patients Protection. You know, there was a concern about having, um, you know, enough resources uh, such as ventilators, oxygen tanks, and then enough manpower. So that includes, you know, all healthcare workers, but um, especially, you know, physicians, nurses, other ancillary staff. Um, All of that was a big concern because all of these patients um, are very labor intensive. Um, They're very, very sick. They're very complex. They have multiple things going on from uh, cardiac to immune to their immune system to their um, neurological system. They're not simple patients. So um, it's a real concern and and resources both from the uh, equipment standpoint as well as the manpower standpoint is very, very important and probably the biggest concern. Tell me about the organization Physicians for Patients Protection, a very unique uh, nonprofit grassroots organization. 
Right. So, you know, our organization comprises about 11,000 um, physicians. The, they're either retired physicians, practicing physicians, and it also includes medical students, residents, and fellows, which are our tra- in physicians in training. And uh, what we advocate for is um, physician-led care, uh, meaning that, you know, everybody on the healthcare team obviously is extremely important and they're vital in taking care of a patient. But the problem is that a lot of um, states have passed laws, uh, mostly pushed by various special interest groups, that unfortunately allow uh, people to practice in the capacity of a physician without the appropriate training. And in some places with as little as 5% of the training, and that's quite scary to all of us because at the end of the day, we're all patients. Our parents are patients, our children are patients, and, you know, um, there's no need to sacrifice safety um, in order to increase access, you know. So we believe that, you know, there is a safe way to deliver care uh, with the entire healthcare team, but you really do need um, a physician at the forefront because there's a reason why, uh, you know, medical school takes four years, and then even after that, we can't just go and practice. You know, we have to be trained in our specific specialty for many more years after that. It, it's a unique point that you make that even the doctors who are treating, whether it's coronavirus patients or others who are visiting hospitals and doctor's offices during this time, are also patients. They're people and just as susceptible to disease. Talk to me about the dangers for the medical system as a whole if there are scenarios in which care isn't being provided at that top-notch level, especially during a pandemic when it comes to the possibility of healthcare workers being infected. Right. I mean, it's, I think it's extremely dangerous. Uh, as you rightly mentioned, nobody is immortal. We're all vulnerable, especially when we're in a climate where um, personal protective equipment is lacking. Um, anyone can get sick. Uh, anyone that's working in a hospital, whether they're in environmental services, helping clean the rooms, um, to nurses, to techs, to physicians, you know, everybody is at risk. And that's what we saw, sadly, that so many um, hospital workers, medical workers uh, passed away in the last two months. Uh, some of them are even personal friends of mine, so it hit very close to home. Um, and, and the thing that really concerned me is that during a pandemic, you have a high volume of very, very sick people coming in. COVID-19 is no joke. It's a virus unlike what anyone has seen before. Patients are extremely ill, and a lot of um, decisions are made and, and in very short amounts of time, like within seconds, within minutes, and those decisions can mean life or death. And many times, and many studies have shown this, that making that right decision often is an innate gut instinct that is built over years of experience. And that's why medical training is the way that it is. That's why you're not only uh, required to do the four years of education, which also includes clinical training, but even after that, most physicians do another four to eight years post-medical school, once they're already a doctor, under the supervision of an experienced physician. And and that's so that if we're in that situation where we're making that split-second life-or-death decision, um, we are more likely to make the right decision. And one thing that was very concerning is that there uh, were various staffing companies that was recruiting a lot of non-physician providers, uh, such as nurse practitioners, physician assistants from all 50 states. And for very lucrative amounts of money, $15,000. And and these um, providers, uh, to no fault of their own, were placed in these, you know, high stress, high level situations. And they were not uh, adequately equipped, you know, to take care of these patients. So a lot of my colleagues saw very simple things that, you know, third or fourth year medical students know being missed. 
effect. Um, and and th- that can be very dangerous for the patient. You know, uh, even just small medication errors can mean life or death for somebody who's already, you know, fighting for their life because of a life-threatening virus. Uh, and this was all, uh, as I learned more about it, through FEMA funds. Meanwhile, we had so many physicians that were sitting at home and wanted to help out and couldn't because they had been laid off or furloughed or their practices had shut down because of what was going on. And and hospitals, you know, were calling for volunteers, um, but then didn't uh, want to give any of these funds to these physicians who, you know, basically were losing their practices and um, getting laid off. So it it just didn't make any sense because we had this workforce ready and willing that already were trained and had that medical knowledge, you know, yet funds were being diverted to less trained practitioners and to the point where it wasn't even helpful. I have many instances of reports where it was actually hurtful to patients. You've been listening to allergy and infectious disease doctor Pervy Parikh. We'll be right back. Where are these people coming from that aren't uh, trained physicians at the level that is required, especially during this type of global pandemic? Where are they working on a daily basis? Local hospitals or minute clinics? Um, and right. could you get a little bit more into the process of, of how they're finding these companies that are recruiting them for these lucrative sums of money? So these ads um, were all over the internet. Even I saw them. So they were on Facebook, Instagram, um, and, and I mean, I can even send you some of them. And they were from a very high dollar amounts, like fifteen thousand a week, thirteen thousand a week. And they were recruiting um, nurse practitioners, physician assistants from all over the country. Um, and so not even all of them were from New York. And they were, and there was no vetting process to see, you know, how long has this person even been in practice? Have they even worked in a critical care? setting or worked in a hospital setting and none of those things were vetted because some would show up and literally you know it's almost like they were right out of their schooling you know which already um, I don't know if you know how it works but generally um, nurse practitioners in most states are only required about 500 hours um, 500 to 1,000 hours before they can practice independently but just to give you perspective a brand new primary care doctor an internist has close to 16 to 17,000 hours under their belt like the day after residency before they're allowed to practice independently so as you can see just from a number perspective it's staggering so you know if you're putting people like that in a situation with very critically ill patients it's not their fault either right they were just not uh trained for that type of situation you know um so so it was quite staggering they came from all over the country um some were from within new york city itself but from from what i heard was you know they came were kind of thrown into the fire there was no plan and, and many like i had said um, couldn't interpret very basic test results um, like one colleague who worked on the inpatient covid floors you know said that you know one of these practitioners was not even able to interpret like a blood culture report which most third year medical students are able to interpret and and um, another example that i had was given was that a medication um, called lisinopril was started on a patient who had a very high potassium level. And again, that's a very like basic thing that, that most medical students know, just uh, very basics, right? So if somebody is missing the basics, you can understand how dangerous that would be in the setting of taking care of a very critical ill patient. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not um, knocking anyone, any of these practitioners. I work with them all on a daily basis, but 
the training is very different and, and the way that it was being used was almost like interchangeably for a physician. And as you can tell, that can be quite dangerous, especially during a pandemic when we're um, it's a strain system and there's very sick patients that are coming through the door. I wanted to ask you before I let you go here about the current spread of COVID-19. What concerns you the most? I think there's a lot of conversations going on about infection rates and we're seeing large gatherings of protesters and demonstrators Mm -hmm. across the country and whether or not they are putting themselves at risk and if we'll see a second wave or a spike in in cases where we're starting, starting to see better numbers. So what's the most concerning thing to you right now when it comes to the coronavirus spread in the U.S.? And what do you think the American people should be doing to prevent it? Right. That's a a great question. The second wave is a very real threat. Um, We saw it with the Spanish flu 100 years ago that the second wave was even deadlier than the first wave. Um, So, you know, as I see protests uh, occur, as well as, you know, states reopening, uh, it is a concern that if if we don't do it safely, um, you know, while the protests are important you know it's still very very important we can't forget we're in the midst of a pandemic we um, need to have that social distancing we have to have that mask and same goes for all the states that are reopening if we don't do it carefully we are going to see a huge surge we are going to see a second wave because we still don't have um, a good vaccine we don't have an effective reliable treatment and if we see that second wave, this is why I'm, I'm very happy that you're bringing this issue to light. Um, this can't happen again in the second wave um, where, you know, we're not utilizing the physicians that are available. Um, I, I don't know if you're aware, but many physicians have been laid off and furloughed. These people have the training to work in these critical uh, situations. You know, FEMA money should be diverted there if there is a second wave, like use these doctors that are sitting at home, you know, don't recruit people that might have uh, five to 10% of the training of them to take care of these sick patients. Cause I think that second wave in is inevitable. Um, the other issue too, is many states, um, you know, lifted immunities, meaning that, you know, rightfully so in some cases that, you know, people can't be held liable for medical errors, but that in some ways can be dangerous because I can see abuse where hospitals may choose to not have physicians and say, oh, well, we won't be liable for medical errors, but that's not the safest and the right way to do it. You know, if I was a patient, my family was a patient, I would want the most trained and experienced person taking care of me. Really appreciate your insight on this topic. And like I said, I think a lot of people listening will be fascinated to learn that this is happening in the United States. It's a story you just don't hear a whole lot about. Dr. Purvi Parik, an allergy and infectious disease doctor and board member of the organization Physicians for Patients Protection. Thank you again, doctor, for your time. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.